one who uh, you help elect each and every year, and they, they just are their pastor supporters, their friends, they have, they're men of integrity, and they don't want, even in a COVID moment, to, to see an opportunity. The, the scripture does exhort us to, to, um, to honor those who labor among us, right? Is it hot in here? It feels like hot in here to me. And uh, so I, I just want to say to to Joe and Ann, to Shane and Candace, to Jason, Katie, and to Aaron and Chelsea, um, how privileged that I feel to be able to work with them. To be, um, I don't feel like I work with them, just to be honest. But to I feel like they're a part of my family, and that's how close we are. Now we don't spend a lot of time together, uh, just to be honest, because they're very busy. Sherry and I are at different seasons of life than they are. And I don't want to chase after all the things that they're chasing after right now because I've done that and been there. And so we're at new seasons, so we don't spend as much time. You may think that we do, but we don't. They probably spend more time together with, uh, amongst themselves than I do with them. But, but I feel just like family with them, and, uh, and really I don't just feel like family. They are family to me, and I have deep-seated uh, respect for each one of them, husband and wife equally. And they serve our church family well. They give um, so much of their lives. But only, beyond that, though, they, um, they, they are so... I know that at times we have, we have a lot of humor, obviously. I mean, you have funny people like me. I'm way out there in front of everybody's humor. But then you got Aaron Grubbs. Aaron could have his own act in Branson. JoJo is hilarious. So we have a lot of uh, fun. But they're very professional when they need to be professional. And so, like, I'm going to be honest, any time that I've ever had to leave for whatever reason, for whatever reason, um, whether it be uh, just it be an emergency or whether it's just, uh, you know, a trip like Shane and I took this past week, I go with the clearest of kind. I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to think to myself what's going to happen in my absence, which a lot of business owners and such, I, I see what happens when they're out for a few days, you know. But, but being a pastor, having these other shepherds on staff with me, uh, I mean, I have the clearest of convictions that uh, they just do a fantastic job. And so, and I love them equally, and I'm so grateful to be able to serve in the kingdom alongside of them. Now, I want to tell you a little story just real quickly before we get into the preaching of the word. I'm excited to share the word. But this past week, though, Shane and I took a trip that we do try to take occasionally, and that is once a year, if we can, to slip out to Nebraska to go turkey hunting. And COVID had shut down our spring season, and so um, we didn't get to go, so it was fall. And I'd already told Shane, I said, Shane, I don't think I can go this year. I said, I've got the situation with Brother Larry. That meant a lot to me. I said, I, didn't, well, I, 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 said, I, don't, I may not, I may, I may need to make a trip out to Lubbock. And, uh, but, but when we got him home safely, and uh, that seems to be in, improving daily, um, and then uh, something worked out with one of my sons that I'm not going to need to go down there and help them back to Texas, another trip. So I kind of thought, well, maybe, you know, and then one night Shane sends me a text of a him and a, a hen decoy. And he said, we're thinking about going. And I said, you and Candace? He said, no, me and this decoy. <laughs> and um, two years ago, I had a mountain lion crossing the path in front of me when I was turkey hunting out there. And after that, I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if you should be out here by yourself. Just because there's no service. There's no nothing out there. I mean, you're in the hills in, in, in Nebraska, and there's just no service. So I, I said, Sherry, if I can at all possible work that out, I'll try to go with Shane. And spend a little extra time with him because 
he, he and Ken are at new seasons of life, and we definitely haven't got to see them as much as we have over the last few years. So we enjoy our time together in the vehicle and, um, and then also in the field. So it was what was supposed to have been a quick three-day run. We squeezed one extra day, but I want to tell you a little story. Two years ago, or last year in the fall of the year was the first time that we, that we collectively had done a fall turkey hunt. We were sitting on this one road and alongside this farm, and Shane said, what is that? What, what is that? And I, I didn't know what he's talking about. We're always looking for game. And he gets out of the vehicle and goes out there. And he comes back. He said, this is marijuana. I said, no way. Marijuana out here. He said, trust me, I know. This, oh, sorry, sorry about that. I didn't mean to. <laughs> he said, this is cannabis. And I said, no. He said, this is, he said, this is cannabis right here. It was all over the field out there. All over the field. And uh, so... When we finally got some signal, we did some Google search. Now, twofold, we were thinking maybe we could pay for our, our turkey hunting adventure. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just teasing. I'm just teasing about that. <laughs> but there is such a thing called feral cannabis. It does not produce a high, but it grows wild and native in the Midwest, especially in Kansas and Nebraska. It's down alongside the interstate. It's just growing wild along those farms. It's, there's, there's a lot of it. In this particular year, this past fall, there was, it was just seemed like it was in a lot of the fields. And oddly enough, the turkey loved the cannabis, the feral cannabis. And one particular field, there was over 200 turkeys. You ever seen 200 turkeys in your life? We have. 200 turkeys in a field just feeding along with several mule deer as well. And it was a field full of cannabis. And so they love that stuff. Well, on the last day of the hunt, it was an opportunity, uh, we were kind of trying to fill a tag uh, to just kind of slip out of there that morning, and I've been turkey hunting for 25 years now, so I'm not as zealous of it as Shane is, and Shane just gets like a bulldog on a bone, I'm talking, he is just like, he's in the zone, and so we had found some turkeys in the field, and we were going to try to slip through them, and as we were slipping through them, I noticed, I don't think Shane even knows, because he's just in the zone, we were in a field of that cannabis, and we're running through there, and I could smell it this time. I could smell it strong. And as I'm running through there, I'm thinking to myself, if I can smell it, this is getting all over our bodies and our clothes. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we got stopped on the way home? And that police officer came to the window and said, I smell marijuana in this vehicle. And then we try to tell him there's no way. We're pastors from Heber Springs, and there's no way that we are. And so that's going through my mind as we're running through the field. And I thought, now that could really, and that, something like that could, be, it could happen. Wouldn't that be the craziest of things? Now, obviously, it did not happen. We were not arrested. We did not smuggle feral cannabis back to the state of Arkansas. But you never know what you're going to find when you get out in the field. So I... Oh, listen, don't tell everybody that. Yes, we did. So we had a, we had a good time, and we appreciate, again, the other guys. And, and it's just a, it's a rewarding time to just be able to uh, just to enjoy God's creation for a couple days. But, again, I want to thank the other pastors who, again, pinch it for us to let us have that little moment in our lives. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Last week was the, I want to say the pause. I'm going to hit the pause button on my Holy Spirit emphasis for the next several weeks. And I may even bring that, the gifts of the Spirit to the Wednesday night so that we can kind of have a little bit more detail about it. You know, I put myself out at risk last week because 
I use what I believe is the prayer language publicly, audibly, in front of the church, even on an open mic, not because I was trying to, in any capacity, exploit a spiritual gift, but to, to lead our church family into a belief and to somebody that might be new to the spirit-filled movement that it's not necessarily about emotionalism, though you may be very emotional when you exercise the spiritual gifting. But it's not, necessary, it's not necessary that Paul said, I will pray in the Spirit. I wrestled with the morality and the biblical context of doing that, but I felt like that it was my responsibility to, to make it seem for you as an individual that, hey, I want God's power in my life at a greater level. And so once that was a completed moment in my heart and life, there's a lot of things going on. There's some other things. Certainly I have to leave myself some some movement to speak on so this being pastor appreciation every year i always try to kind of weave into it um, a little bit of what i hope is a relevant message as it relates to convictions and callings of pastoral ministry and also bring that into perhaps even cultural events and so i want to ask you to go ahead and just be seated we're going to just let you be seated for the reading of the text because i'm going to move you through not a whole lot of verses but several passages so it's on the screen with you uh, you can follow it there. You can certainly keep your Bibles open and read with me, but we're going to be kind of just moving. So remember, I'm going to read from three epistles that are known as the pastoral epistles. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to two men who were his own um, understudies in the ministry. Those were, He was their mentor. He had brought them up and led them into ministry and helped teach them and left them in certain places. Timothy was left at Ephesus and Titus was left at Crete. And he addresses things related particularly to ministry. And then I'll read one concluding passage of Scripture, one verse, from, not from T Timothy or Titus, but from Thessalonians. So it's all from the T's today. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And there's really no good place to stop there. But we're going to go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. If you would, Sister Sherry, I need that water. I left it there. <clears throat> I'm breathing in a little too much of that cannabis this week. Got me... <laughs> If you just joined in from Facebook Live, please rewind. <laughs> but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And then Paul slightly shifts. He gives a strong emphasis or a charge to that man of God as to what part of his responsibilities are. I charge thee therefore before God, Paul speaking to Timothy, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Quick meaning alive, those that are alive and those who are dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, he says. 
preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For there will come a time, for the time will come, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So obviously you're seeing a theme get put together here. Now we're going to turn to Titus, which if you have an open Bible, it's the very next epistle in order. Titus chapter 1, we're going to read just a few verses of Scripture. Verse number 10 says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. So a lot of people are talking. Let's kind of remember what he says here. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for a filthy, lucrative sake. I I don't think that was added in there, but I threw it in there. Verse number 16, he says, They profess that they know God. This is those of the circumcision, the vain talkers, he said. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. And so we go a little bit farther. Chapter number 2, verse number 1. Here it says, but then once again, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So let's see if you can kind of catch the correlation just real quickly. The 10th verse here, he said, there are many unruly and vain talkers. There are a lot of people saying a lot of things, but here's an expectation for those that are in ministry. But you... Titus, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. So let's read verse number, verses 11 through 15 here. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of the great God. I lost a little bit of volume on the stage here. but I like it back if it's okay. Let me go ahead and catch back up. Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. I mean, how many of you know that's what God's intent is for us, right? He's chosen to redeem us from all iniquity, to purify unto himself a peculiar people. You thought, yeah, that's really true. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things, once again, Titus, here's your responsibility as a minister of the gospel to speak and exhort and to rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And everybody said amen. Now, lastly, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's read this one verse of scripture here to just see before we pray together. Look what Paul says. I love this. He said, but as we were allowed of God. To be put in trust with the gospel. So not only am I speaking to the men and women of God that profess a call of ministry, but I'm speaking through them, speaking through their testimony as we look back at these ancient texts that are just as relevant today as when the apostle penned under the flickering light of a lampstand, most likely from a Roman prison cell, writes these epistles. He says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, Even so we speak. When we speak, here's our intent. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. That's our intent. So what I want to talk to you about today, and this kind of got down in my heart as I was thinking and pondering where I would go with this 
message here on pastor appreciation and a little bit of a transition away from the emphasis of the Holy Spirit the latter couple of weeks. I've noticed this in my observation that there's a lot of people that are speaking today. There are a lot of voices in the world. But my, I have a question for you today. But who is speaking for God? There's a lot of people that claim to be speaking from God. Is there a point where we can have some measure of validation as to the men and the women who seem to be making authoritative statements? Remember what they said about Jesus. They said, he teaches as a man in authority, a sold-out conviction to the words that he says. So who is speaking for God? I hope today when we walk out of this room that you'll have greater confidence in those that you're listening to that they are speaking for God. So let's pray. Father, I love you, and I truly feel humbled to be in this house today and have this opportunity to share the Word of God, to use our gifts as leaders and ministers to minister the Word, to be reminded that the Scripture says that any man that has received a gift, let him minister it. And he said again, he said, if any man speak, being a gift, let him speak as the oracles of God. Pray today that I'll be able to communicate as one Father God, that is noted as an oracle of God. I'll be able to speak as one that speaks for God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. And amen. Now, obviously, by the text, ministers are exhorted to speak. We don't just get paid to go turkey hunting once a year. And we have a responsibility to you as teachers and exhorters. And preachers, and you say, Pastor, why is that so important? Well, because faith cometh by hearing. Now, it's a powerful thing to read. It's a powerful thing to contemplate and to meditate upon the truths of God. But many times, the spark to create faith in your heart is a prophetic spoken word. To have a prophetic spoken word, you have to have a prophetic speaker. Somebody who has an anointing on their life to take the creative power of God. What is the creative power of God? The spoken word, right? The last I read in the word of God that when God got ready to create something, he spoke it into existence. The power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. God anoints. It was the prophet Isaiah that said an angel of God descended from heaven with a coal of fire in his hand and would touch his lip and tongue and it would purge him to be able to speak unto the people. That's a conviction that we hold deep in our heart. We are exhorted to speak the truth as ministers, to preach the word, to teach sound doctrine, to reprove and rebuke and exhort. And you and I as believers, all of us need to hear. Right? We need to hear the word of God. We need to listen attentively. And then beyond that, we need to obey the truth of God. Right? To be worshipers, as Joe was exhorting you earlier, is to be one who lends and bends his will, your personal will, to the will of the Father. That's what worship is. Many times it's more than just praise. There are a lot of people in church on Sunday praising God, but are not worshiping him through the week by becoming obedient to the revealed will of God for their lives. A worshiper is one who worships God in spirit and in truth. Right, And that's our exhortation to you, and that's what we hold to our own personal convictions. However, with so many voices, so many talking heads in our generation, I think it's a very fair question. Who's speaking for God? Do y'all believe that today? Who's speaking? Who's got the authoritative voice of God? We have in our generation that's the, something called social media. 
Social media has given everyone a platform. And everyone is now suddenly a mouthpiece. And so my observation has been there are many who do not claim to be ministers. We're going to talk about those in a minute. Or pastors or preachers or teachers. But I've noticed as I follow many on and just kind of scroll through uh, Facebook occasionally, I've noticed that there are those that propagate their doctrine, propagate their belief system to you. They propagate their worldview and their own convictions. And I've also noticed that when they do so, they often validate their position by denouncing organized religion. They denounce organized religion. They denounce historical Christianity. And they denounce the church by twisting the truth or actually propagating an outright lie as they speak their doctrine, their doctrine. They validate their own conscience by validating their own sensual, sinful lifestyle. They'll speak to you and they will allure to the lust of your own flesh in order to pull you into the distorted view that they themselves possess. I'll share with you who I see those people and, and what I, I want to define them as here in a few moments. Now, obviously in Scripture we have false prophets, we have deceitful workers, and that, are, that can be ecclesiastical workers. You can have a cloak, black, black coat, white tie, collar. You can have certain um, uh, university degrees on your wall. You can have ecclesiastical endorsement from large organizations. But let me tell you today, that does not make you a man or a woman of God. Let me just go ahead and go out there today. Because Paul warned of false prophets and deceitful workers. Paul said, listen, here's what he said. you got to be careful. He said, because there are men and women with a form of godliness, but they will deny the true power of the gospel. For Jesus, let me tell you who it was for Jesus uh, during his day. It was the Pharisees. The Pharisees looked the part. They were given access to the temple. They held certain prominent roles in ministry. But if you follow the teachings of Jesus, Jesus constantly upbraided them for their hypocrisy. He constantly, and the most scathing rebuke of all the Pharisees is found in Matthew chapter number 23. And this is the final week of Jesus' life. And Jesus has battled them with words for three and a half years. And this is the apex. This is the final week. And I'm telling you, he's going out with a bang. And he's not going to let his voice be silent. And he's going to speak directly to their hypocrisy. And you can read it on your own. But he called the religious leaders of his day, he called them fools. Blind gods. Yeah, you say, Pastor, when I have the image of Jesus, I have this image of this shepherd and this little crooked staff and this little, um, this little sheep under his arm, and he's the good shepherd. Yes, he is, but I'll tell you what, he's protecting the true flock of God from those that are wolves in sheep's clothing. And he's speaking the word authoritatively, and he says this. He said, you're outward righteous, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. He called the generation of spiritual leaders in his generation. He said, you are serpents. You are a generation of vipers. And he said, and I wonder, how can you even escape the damnation of hell? He said, you'll search the whole world to make one proselyte to your viewpoint of Judaism. He said, and when you do, you'll make him twice the, the, the child of hell that, that you are yourselves. So that was those that Jesus dealt with. But then what about for Paul? What did Paul deal with? Who did he do? Well, he did uh, get with the Pharisees some, but we know Paul went into 
other communities where they're Gentile religions. And often there was a conflict between the gospel that he was preaching and the leader of another religion like an idolater. But most often the, per, the people that Paul was having to deal with in a, in a war of words, he claims to be, Paul claims to be speaking for God, and they claim to be speaking for God were what's known as the Judaizers. He mentioned in one of our texts the circumcision. The circumcision were the Jews. Those would have been, again, kind of akin to the Pharisees. But the Judaizers were those that professed faith in Christ. But they believed that you had to fulfill the ritual requirements of the law in order to be justified in your faith. And Paul wouldn't give them place for one minute. Paul said, I have shown you before. He said that no man is justified according to the works of the law, but that we are justified by faith in Christ Jesus. And he spent his life in the defense of the gospel, defending against others that had a profession of faith in the same God and even the same mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But Paul said because of their doctrine, here's what he called them, false brethren brought in unawares. He said they are dogs, evil workers, and they're enemies of the cross. Let me show you one more passage of Scripture. I want to build this up in your heart and mind because I want you to see there is a war of words that's going on. There's a war of words going on in our generation. There are a lot of people that are claimed to be speaking under divine revelation, and I've got a big question for you today, and that's who's really speaking for God? Who's the person that's actually got an anointed voice that's speaking the truth of the Scripture? So let me show you. I won't read it all, but you turn if you've got your Bible, but they're going to put it on the screen. It's in 1 Kings 22, and it's also recorded in 2 Chronicles as well. But we're only going to focus on 1 Kings, chapter number 22. I'll set the context because I want you to see it. I won't be able to read it in its entirety just for the sake of time. But it's in the, let me put you in the passage of the history of it just real quick. We have the divided kingdom of Israel. We have Israel, the northern ten tribes that are led by, at this time, the wicked king Ahab. And Ahab, under the influence of his wife Jezebel, has led the children of Israel into apostasy and idolatry by becoming Baal worshippers. But the southern kingdom had a light, had the temple, had a righteous king. And at this time, that righteous king is Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat chooses to go out to battle to aid the king of Israel because, in essence, they're brothers. They're divided only by the religious separation, but they're true. They're all still Jews. And so he's lending the resources of his kingdom in war against Syria and Israel. So you have to separate that. It's Israel and Judah, but it's really the 12 tribes, but they're separated, 10 and 2, two kings, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Has everybody got that? So they're getting ready to go out to battle. And so in Jehoshaphat, uh, in verse number 4, he's asked the question. He says, will you go to battle with me to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, he said, he, said, uh, he said to the king, I am as thou art. My people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. But Jehoshaphat, who has a righteous remnant of faith in his heart, said unto the king of Israel, you know, before we do this, he said, before we do this, can we seek the man, the man of God? Can we seek counsel uh, at the heart of God? Is there a word of the Lord? How many of you know, say, I want a word from God in my life. I need direction and clarity by a word from God. So the king of Israel gathered, notice this, verse number six, the prophets together. Are you following that? Six verse. About 400 men. And he asked them a question. So we have Ahab, whose wife Jezebel has introduced um, 
uh, uh, Baal worship. But now Ahab is turning to what's called prophets, and he's asking them, shall I go up to Ramoth Gilead or shall I forbear? Forbear, excuse me. And they said, go up. And they said, go up. They spoke it. For the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And when Jehoshaphat heard that, how many know that if you have a true ear to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the church, when you hear something that's false, you may have the tendency the Spirit of God say, that's not right. It sounds good, but it's not good. Come on now. I feel the Spirit of God in here today. And Jehoshaphat said, verse 7, he said, is there not a prophet of the Lord's besides these? He said, I I, I don't feel good about what they're saying. He said that we might inquire of him. And the king of Israel said, he said, well, there's one man, Micaiah, is the son of Emei, of whom we may, and I don't have a clue whether I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, but we all just bear with me today. He said, but, he said, by whom we may inquire the Lord, but listen to this, but I hate him. Let me tell you who the most hated people, let me tell you who the most hated people in America today. I know some of you think it's Trump, but no, it's the Christian community, right? It's the Christian community, the most hated, but I hate him because he don't prophesy any good concerning me but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let not the king say, don't say that. He said, don't say that. And the king of Israel called in an officer and said, hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of uh, Ammi. Is that, is that an I-A or an L-A? Imla. Is it? I can't see it that well. So, None the, I think it's an L. I-M-L-A-A-Y. I tell you, if you just really want that prayer language, you get you a King James Bible. Man, you can, you can, you can reach it. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, each sat on this throne, having put on the robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And look what this, look at this show. Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, made his, not twain, um, and made his horns of iron. And he said, thus saith the Lord. Come on now, that's funny, people. I don't, never mind. And he said, thus saith the Lord, with these thou shalt push the Syrians until thou hast consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied. So there's a whole group of 400 men, and they're prophesying, and they're pushing. They've got their, I mean, this is a demonstrative sermon. This is a visually aided sermon. They've got horns, and they're pushing, and they're prophesying, and they're saying, this is the Lord, and you're going to drive out the Syrians, and you're going to go up to Ramoth Gilead, and the Lord's going to deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was going to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, now behold. He said, listen, brother, let me tell you. He said, the words of the prophets are good. He said, they're good. And he said, I'm just telling you, man. He said, you need to just just join in with them. Just add your agreement. Speak what they're speaking and speak that which is good. We can't have all this negativity. We can't have all this hatred that you're sowing. You can't be hateful. We're not. You've got to show tolerance. You've got to work with us here. We're all doing this together. And Micaiah said this, he said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord says to me, that's what I'm going to speak. Man, I like him. Right? He said, as the Lord tells me, he said, that's what I'm going to speak, brother. And so he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, he said, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle? He said, or, or should we forbear? So this is the king asking him, and he answered him. He said, go, go and prosper, and read my book, and send a special offering along the way. Go and prosper, and may the Lord be with you. As you go. And then King Ahab, he knew that he was mocking him. And he said, How many times do I have to adjure thee? He said, You tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord. And so he just opened up and he said, Here's what I saw. Look at this, we'll read it real quickly. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. 
And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. What's he saying? He said, I see you scattered on the hillside. You lost the battle and many men died. That's what he's saying, I saw. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, he said, didn't I tell you? He said, didn't I tell you if we bring this negative person in here, he's going to break the unity of our armies and of our coalition of nations as we go against the Syrians. And he's going to sow all this unbelief. I told you he wouldn't do anything but prophesy evil concerning me. And he said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. Here's what Micaiah is saying. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him. And the Lord said... Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Because God had already pronounced judgment on Ahab because of his wicked idolatry. And one said on this matter, and another said on this matter. And he said, and there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And, the, and I don't know if this is a parable or if this was an actual vision that the prophet saw. And the Lord said to him, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him. The Lord said, and thou shalt persuade him and prevail. Go forth and do also. Now, therefore, behold, this is what Micaiah is saying to Jehoshaphat and to Ahab. I feel the Lord. The Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. But look at this, and this is what was drew my attention because this is where we're at today with all the talking voices that are in your, uh, in your arena of life, with all the mouths and all the platforms and all the opportunities that people have today to be a spokesman for their own personal convictions. Look what Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, went near and smote Micaiah. So he went up to him and he just popped him right there. You're talking about a church service. Right, so I'm, now it's on. This done got violent. He smote Micaiah on the cheek, and here's what he said. Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? So we have a conflict of worldviews. We have one brother with 400 other prophets saying, God said, go. We have one lone spokesman who said, no, God said, don't go. Or if you do go, you're going to die in battle. And so we have a conflict, a contest, and you could take a giant step back and say, who's speaking for God? Who's actually, because both are claiming to be prophets. Both are claiming they've got the Spirit of God upon them. Both are claiming they've got the word and the direction that the people need to hear. And so Micaiah gave the word of the Lord. And in verse number 25, he said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when you shall go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. So they, the king of Israel said, Take him and put him in a little bit of, put him in the house, uh, into Ammon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son. Put him in prison. And feed him with the bread of affliction, with water of affliction, until I come in peace. And I like what Micaiah said. Micaiah said, I'm going to get the last word in on this because I got the word of the Lord. And he said this. He said, if you return it all in peace, then the Lord hath not spoken unto me. And he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. So that prophetic voice of Micaiah conflicted and contrasted with the voices of 400 prophets. And there was a contest. And you could draw back and say, who's really speaking for God? And when I thought about that this week, I've got it down in my heart and said, we got so many people speaking in our generation. And if you're just kind of caught out there, you're just asking, who's really got the voice of God? Man, this is a fair question today. I'm going to say at none other time in the history of the modern world is there a moment when more people have access to a platform and are claiming to have divine revelation and will speak to your life. And you've got to know what's being spoke to you. Is it the word of the Lord? Right? Or is it a deceiving spirit and a doctrine of devils? 
It's being repeated time and time again. Sometimes it's between leaders and teachers of organized religious sects. It's between Hollywood personalities and sports icons. Other times, let me tell you who it can be. It can be mom and pop sitting at home on Facebook. Come on, when you're sharing something about your life and then they're, direct, they're responding to it with their comments. It can be Aunt Lucy or Cousin Joe or Uncle Jim who through a chat room or a social media or Facebook and they're propagating and they're speaking as if they're authoritative in the Lord and they're saying, listen, no, he said, that's not right. That's just organized religion. I love God. You love God. He loves all of us. That's right. He does love all of us. He loved you so much he wouldn't leave you in your sin and he nailed his son to a tree so his blood would be the atoning sacrifice sacrifice but if you turn your back on it and you don't bend your will to the will of the father then you'll be cast into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone that's the truth of the gospel that's the truth of the gospel but so I'm gonna tell I'm gonna show you real quickly today before I just go out with a with a with a flame today what we're seeing now has happened from the beginning what's going on in our generation between political parties, between religious organizations, between Hollywood personalities and sports icons who are validating their positions and their creeds and their statements through a religious lens, it goes back to the Genesis. That's where it started. The same practice, seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Without reading it, read it on your own. Genesis chapter number 3, verses 1 through 7, tell the story of when Eve was in the garden, isolated by, this, by what we call the serpent. And the serpent did three things. Let me drop these because this will help you in discerning the voice of God. Listen to it very carefully. Eve knew, God said, of all the trees in the garden, thou mayest freely eat, except, don't forget that word, except, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of that tree you shall surely not eat. Three things the adversary did. He questioned God, he opposed God, and then he spoke for God. And I'm telling you, it's happening all over and all around you today. Listen very carefully what he did. Here's what the adversary did. He said, did God really say? Is that really true? Is that really what the Bible says? Does the Bible really say that, Joe? About holiness and righteousness, about living a separate, sanctified life? Does the Bible really say that marriage is between one man and one woman? Uh-oh. Does the Bible really say that life begins in the womb? Does it really say that? Number two, if you do that, you're not going to die. God's not going to stop loving you. God's not going to stop. You're not going to breach your fellowship with God. And lastly, number three, because God doth know. God doth know the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like him. And so again, the threefold temptation of the enemy is being repeated over and over and over again. And in those days, it was in a garden. And in the days of the text that we read, it was between uh, uh, opposing prophetic camps. In the days of Israel, it was between Jesus and the Pharisees and Paul and the Judaizers. Today, in our culture, it can be between two uh, political parties. It can be between ecclesiastical endorsed uh, preachers and ministers. It can be between competing voices of people of prominence and of Hollywood or sports icons, Hollywood personalities the sports icons, and what you've got to do is you've got to be able to hear. You've got to be able to hear and know and say, wait a minute, that's not the voice of God. I don't care if they said that the Lord told me. I want to know what 
So let me share. Are y'all here now? Are y'all out there today? So I, I, I'm going to shift it and transition and make it personal and closing this out. Whether it's a political leader, religious, or an ecclesiastical leader, or a Facebook friend, the question that's in my heart today, speaking to us about the cultural issues of our day, what's the, what about, what, what about, this is the cultural issues that we're dealing with. We're talking about abortion, LGBT issues. We're talking about socialism, free speech, social justice, BLM, Antifa, all this. Who's speaking for God? Who's speaking for God? I'm going to share these with you, what I believe. This is your means. This is your way for you to be able to say, you know what? That man or that woman is speaking for God. Number one, those who speak the truth in love. Starts right there. Speaks the truth in love. How many you know the Bible says love is the end of the commandment? Right? That's always our objective. Love is the greater way. Right? But let me tell you something about love that goes often overlooked in the context of love. Love, 1 Corinthians 13, read it on your own. King James calls it agape, right? It's the, it's the, it calls it charity, excuse me. In the original language, it's agape. It means the love of God. Here's what it is. The love of God does not rejoice in iniquity. I will celebrate you. I will celebrate who you are as that you were made in the likeness and the image of God, but I will not celebrate your sin. I don't care whether you're my, my wife, whether you're my children, whether you're my grandchildren, you're my closest friend. I will love you and I will celebrate you, but I will never celebrate your sinful choices. Because the Spirit of God inside me does not allow me to rejoice in iniquity. I only rejoice in truth, in the truth. Number two, those whose faith and lifestyle is consistent with their doctrine. Don't tell me one thing while you do something else. Right? Did y'all hear that today? I said, the, who, who's speaking the truth? It's whose faith and lifestyle is consistent with their doctrine. I'm going to go ahead and take it into the political world. Many years ago, I remember when Al Gore put out all of his information. Y'all remember that? About that the world was going to come to the end in 10 years because of global warming. Right? Of course, they also had the coldest winter on record this past year up in the Antarctica, but that's another argument altogether. He was given the Nobel Peace Prize, and he got in his airplane, and he flew all the way across, I believe it was the uh, Atlantic Ocean, and he burned more fossil fuel in one trip than we'll burn in our lifetime to celebrate the fact that he had won the Nobel Peace Prize about warning the world about global warming. And you know what? If he really believed that, that those fossil fuels were creating the global warming that was going to end the world in 10 years, he would have made that journey in a boat and paddled all the way. But you know what I call that? Hypocrisy is what I call it. Hypocrisy. And so those whose faith and lifestyle is consistent with their doctrine. Paul said, you have known my manner of life. He said, you know how I tried to live among you so that you could recognize a consistency of my faith. Number three today, listen very carefully now. I'm sharing with you who's really speaking for God. Those whose ideas, whose teaching and doctrine is consistent with the clear teaching of Scripture. Let me say it because y'all didn't respond uh, uh, fully to what I just said. The, catch the two words. The clear teaching. I'll give you this. There are some parts of Scripture that are mysterious that you have to really study. There are some parts that you have to question and you seek and you search, but there are some things that are as plain as the nose on your face. And we're living in a generation today that is eroding the things that are as clear today as what's written in front of us. So the clear teaching of Scripture. You can easily avow or disavow or approve or disapprove your life and your choices by the clear teaching of Scripture. We don't have to twist it. It's easy to be understood. Number four, those who follow the teaching of Christ as taught by his apostles. 
Wait a minute. Why would you say that, Pastor Brown? I'm trying to help you see those who are claiming to speak for God. There are those who claim to follow the teachings of Christ as they focus entirely on the Gospels, but they omit the clear teaching of the apostles and the epistles. Let me tell you, first of all, you wouldn't know anything about this man Jesus if it wasn't for the 12 that walked with him. And then the two that actually penned epistles who were close to those who walked with him, which that would be Luke and that would be Mark. The other two, Matthew and John, being apostles themselves. But then we have Paul brought in. Let me show you one quick passage of Scripture. It'll be the last passage I believe we'll turn to. But I want you to see this, 1 John chapter number 4. Because you see this so often, people quoting Jesus, talking about love and all these things as if we don't value love. And as Christians, if we, it, here's what it is today. If someone in the Christian community disagrees with a personal lifestyle choice of an individual, you don't love them and you are filled with hatred and you're a bigot. And that is being propagated all the way from some of the highest positions of the land to your neighbor down the street who is responding on a Facebook chat with you. And they're taking a position of authority and they're speaking it out as if they are speaking for God. But I want you to know today, if they're not following the clear teaching and they're following the apostolic leaders, then it is not from God. Let me just show you. Look at 1 John. Y'all read it with me, chapter number 4. I'll read it with you right here. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Don't believe every sermon. Don't believe every podcast. Don't believe every leader that comes in front of you. But you try the spirits. Whether they, are God, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Verse number two, hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Yeshua Christ has come in the flesh is of God. You say, well, pastor, wait a minute. Now, let's read this and put this together. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. What does that mean? What does that mean? Say, is it that simple to just narrow it down between the two opposing camps? Just if you profess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, almost all profess that he's uh, come in the flesh. Read it carefully. Read it slowly. Yeshua, the Son of God, the Christ, is come in the flesh. In the flesh is what? As the atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice for what? For sin. And so there would be no reason for him to die on the cross if you and I were not sinners. But we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were isolated and separated from the goodness of God. And there was nothing that we could do that would earn our redemption. But God shrouded himself in the person of his son. And he died on a tree so that the blood that flowed out of his veins, that royal blood would be a payment. It would become the propitiation for your sins. God would accept that in the transaction. His life for your sin. His death to give you life. And if you believe that... You're confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And that's, listen, and if you don't, if you don't, that's the spirit of Antichrist, whereby you have now heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Verses 4 through 6, and you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than is he that is in the world. And verse number 5, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. But listen, who's hearing us? We are of God. If you know God, then you don't turn this uh, squeaky mouth preacher off today. You say, you know what? He's, he's pretty ruggedly handsome with his little beard, but you know what? He's really speaking from God. Are you catching what I'm saying there today, church family? Trying to throw a little humor in there with you. We are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. So don't turn us off, Facebook Live. He that's not of God turns us off. Hears us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's the line. 
Right there, that's why you're here today. You came to First Assembly because you said, you know what, I need to hear the truth of God. And I'm going to be confident enough today that I do cuss out a little sometimes misappropriated humor in the midst of there. But I believe the things that I'm saying are of God today. They are of God for you and your heart to help you know, help you know, because there are many false prophets who will cherry pick the teachings of Christ in the gospel but they will abandon the clear teachings of the apostles in the epistles. Did y'all hear that today? Don't miss that. I'm getting ready to close right now. Number five, there's only eight. They're just bullet points. Those who believe the scriptures are given by inspiration of God. <laughs> Those who believe the scriptures. This is my worldview. It's my word view. Did y'all hear that today? I still believe that the pages of this book represent the heart and the mind of God. I don't believe it's the error of men. I believe it is the divine revelation of, of God to mankind for his purposes for us while we are here on the earth. I believe that with all my heart is divinely inspired word of God. And we are, are, it is profitable for my life and your life for doctrine, reproof, or correction. It's living and active and so that you and I can be perfect and mature, thoroughly equipped for all good works. Let me tell you, this generation, our world today does not believe the B-I-B-L-E is the book for you or me. Did y'all hear that today? Listen, you got to be aware there is such a shift in the culture of America today. There is no respect in a portion of the populace of America for the biblical principles that many in our culture have held dear for hundreds of years. There is zero respect, zero validation in the hearts and minds of others. But as for you and I, nothing has changed. I believe the word of God today. I believe it. I thank God for it. I celebrate it today. We believe the scriptures. Number six, those who preach the word in season and out of season. Isn't that what we read? That we preach the word. That means when we preach the word, we reprove and we rebuke and we exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. We cannot be like the prophets that prophesied error to, in the days of Jehoshaphat and Ahab by only preaching that which people want to hear. Paul said that's tickling ears. That's just simple. Listen, there are times that you need reproof in your life. If you're in error, you need reproof, right? And then once you repent, you need correction. You need somebody to say you were doing it the wrong way. Here's the right way, right? I mean, I would still believe there's a right way. I believe God gives us, by the word of God, a right way to live holy and to live pleasing in his sight. And if you'll search the scriptures, you'll find it. You need to understand justification, mortification, sanctification, and righteous holy living. Listen to this statement very carefully. If these principles, justification, mortification, sanctification, and righteous holy living are not a part of the doctrine of your preacher, then he or she is not speaking for God. Man, I'm going to say it one more time, church family. Are y'all, uh, have I bored you so uh, that I've lost you here at the end? I, I repent for trying to keep you uh, attuned by throwing out a little uh, humor along the way. So I'll repent of that. Let me get back on the serious moment real quickly. Listen, I want to say it one more time. If in the context of, of a continual period of seasons of, in your church family, if you don't know and you're not taught what justification is, mortification, sanctification, righteousness, and holy living, then I'll, if that's not a part of the doctrine of your pastor, your preacher, your leader, your clergy, your priest, whoever, then he or she is not speaking for God. It's not speaking for God. 
Number six, or excuse me, number seven, who are those that are speaking for God? Those who will endure afflictions. Who will endure afflictions. Why do you say that, Pastor Brown? Because it's not always popular. It's not, you can be ridiculed. Nobody wants to be ridiculed. Nobody wants to be persecuted. I'm telling you again, the most hated people in America today are those that are walking in biblical convictions. And we need men and women with strong biblical convictions to speak the truth and yet speak the truth in love. And are willing to face persecution and endure afflictions. Paul told Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Don't give up. How many of you know it's a war? There is a war not only for your soul, but there's a war for the soul of America that's going on right now. We, went, we didn't go into this spiritual warfare teaching uh, by accident in the most hotly contested uh, uh, presidential election in your lifetime. We didn't go in by accident. We went in because we wanted to teach you principles of faith so that you can get your voice heard in the heavenly realm and begin to bind and pull down demonic strongholds in Jesus' name. Come on now. Number eight, lastly, as I close, who are those that are speaking for God? Those who watch for your soul. That's who watches for your soul. Who gave up their life, their career, their own aspirations and say, I'm going to go up to the hill country somewhere and I'm going to be a, a, a small-time preacher in a small-time community because I want to love people and watch for their soul. Or I may go to the farthest ends of the world to go to Africa or to Indonesia somewhere and to watch for their soul. Or I can give up my occupation, whatever it is, because I want, there's something inside of me to love enough people. There's some, this, is what, this is what's in the mind of a pastor. This is what's in the mind of a minister. It's someone, this is the mind of, of someone who truly is speaking for God, is we are watching for your soul. And we want to do it with love. We want to do it with care. We want to do it with grace and with sincerity. And we want to pray for you and pray with you. And we want to have compassion in our heart. We want to teach you and equip you because we want you strong in the Lord. We want you to be able to fight your own battles. We can't rescue you out of every pit, out of every hole, but we can point you to the one who can. But then we also don't want to keep you in that weak, anemic state all your life where you always got your hand out for somebody else to lift you up. We want to teach you how to be strong in the Lord, how to stand on your own two feet, how to worship and be full of faith and full of the power of God. Glory to God. That's who's speaking for God. That's the voices that you need to hear today. Those who preach and teach the word of God, who teach the truth, that's who's speaking for God. And I close today by saying, but you've got to make up your own mind. Can't do it for you. You have to determine within yourself. Listen to what John 8 and 47, last verse of Scripture, these last two. He that is of God heareth God's words. Here's what Jesus said to those of his generation. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God. This is real. Nothing's changed. 2,000 years later, the climate's changed. We're not in the arid Middle East. We're not in the backdrop of the temple in Jerusalem. We're not facing Judaism, circumcision, or Judaizers. But we're facing false prophets, spirits, Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils being propagated by all different ways. It's not just those with ecclesiastical cloak, platforms, and microphones. It can be Facebook, social media, Twitter, Hollywood personalities, sports icons, business leaders, 
claim to be speaking for God. And you, as a believer, need to be able to discern the difference. Come on now, in Jesus' name. 1 John 4 and 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who's speaking for God? I pray today in the name of Jesus. That's on Pastor Appreciation Day. Y'all can stand up with me today. Let's pray collectively. First of all, can I ask you to do something for me? It's 1130. Services have been one hour and 30 minutes, and we're closing in prayer. Number one, who will take just a moment, and we'll turn this into a house of prayer for just a moment of time. Say, God, so I want to I want to pray for pastors and leaders. I want to pray for men and women with a call, a conviction, and a voice and an opportunity to speak. I want to pray for them today. Who will start and just say, I want to pray for my pastors? Who will do that in this room? Say, I want to pray for Pastor Brown, Sister Sherry, Joe, and Miss Ann. Pray for Shane and Candace and for Jason, Katie, and Aaron and Chelsea. And God, just those that are in ordained ministry, endorsed by the assemblies of God, leaders in a Pentecostal faith, Pentecostal movement. God, I want to hold them up and pray for them. I want to pray for their voices today to, clarity, to carry the authoritative voice of God in their voice. In the name of Jesus. Not everybody can hear that. That's not cultic to say that. I said to carry the voice of God and their voice. If my voice is consistent with the revealed will of God in the scriptures, then it will minister to your soul. It will. And these other men and women of God's voice will as well. God, we pray for them. We pray for each one. And as their pastor, God, I pray for them. I bless each one of these four couples that I hold so dearly to my heart, and I'm their spiritual father, and I thank God for that. God, I love them deeply and dearly, and I bless their houses, their households. I bless them coming in and going out. I bless them in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. God, I pray you'll make them the head and not the tail, God. In the name of Jesus, they'll be blessed in the morning, at noontime, at night. God, they'll have generational blessing and not generational curses. Their children, God, will be blessed after them and carry the mandate that they themselves carry themselves, God, equally. It will pass from one generation to the next, Father, in the name of Jesus. And I bless them with all the faith that's in my heart today. The way that I bless my own children and grandchildren, God, I bless them today, speaking life over them. I join my faith with our board. I join my faith with our church family on pastor appreciation to appreciate our pastors. God, today I also hold up all those in ministry, God, at a time unlike any that we have ever seen in America today when ministers that are preaching the truth of the gospel, Father, are being ridiculed and persecuted. Father, sensitive subjects and issues that affect many in our families, God, such as uh, the issue of homosexuality or lesbianism, Father God, those, those very sensitive subjects, God, we're We've been backed into a corner as if we can't speak to those issues, God, uh, without being labeled uh, hateful and uh, a bigot, Father. Without God, We're just so boxed in by, by the culture, God, that I, I pray that we can shake all of that off, Father. We speak the truth in love. We don't hold and harbor hatred or animosity. We speak, Father, conviction because we know that your word can deliver men and women from sin. It can, Father, the same as it, in, in any capacity. And God, well, I'm not targeting, Father, that particular community of people. 
God, we've been targeted by that community of people. Father, so today, God, help us to be strong. Help us to be strong to speak the truth in love. Father, people in error need to hear the truth, and I pray that people will hear it through the mouthpieces that you're choosing in our generation, God. As our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, there's no one on the platform with me. This is a moment where it's just between you and God. You're here today and you came to this house today. Just maybe you're going through a hurting moment in your life. You were exhorted by one of our pastors to worship despite that. We didn't in any wise, and Joe even clarified that and said, we're not trying to take away from the fact that you're in a hurting moment. But God is so holy and righteous that we worship through those moments, and we do. But maybe this is your moment where you can be honest with me here today and say, Pastor, I came to this house today, and there is hurt in my heart. There's a wound. I'm going through a difficult time, a painful situation. And I wouldn't, I know it's not going to be exposed to the church. I'm not going to come to the front or anything like that. But I would make knowledge by lifting up of my hand, or I would want to acknowledge it by the lifting up of my hand as others' heads are bowed and other eyes are closed for the sole purpose of the only person that's going to see is the pastor who stands on the stage in front of him, in front of me, so that he might watch for my soul. He might pray for me today. If that's you, slip your hand up. Say, Pastor, I'm here today and it's hurt my heart and life. Thank you today, church family. Some hands are going up, male, female, men in blue today. Hands are being raised. Church, will we pray for them today? Can we pray for them? Can we pray for these that are come to this house today? God, would you heal? You're so good and gracious and merciful and kind to us in this house. You love us so much and help us to have a revelation of your love, of your healing mercy and grace. Help us to not turn from the truth. God, when we're hurting, help us to not run from you, but to run to you. Come on, I feel the Lord right there, church family. It's 1135, and we're about to wrap up. I'm about to say goodbye, and I won't see you again till Wednesday night. But God, today, there may be some here today that's going to walk out of here, and they've got, they've, got, uh, they've got hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness. Someone's cut them and wounded them. Let me tell you, brother, let me tell you, sister, let it go in the name of Jesus. Pray. Ask the Lord. You say, Pastor, I can't. I can't. You don't know how bad I've been hurt or wounded. I know I don't, but God does. And let me tell you, God can give you a grace that's so real, a love that's so genuine that you can even forgive and even love those who have hurt you. He can do it because God is love. God is love, and you can have a revelation of his love in your heart and your life in the name of Jesus. God, I don't know, and God, I could spend counseling for weeks from here and still not know the depth of all the situations that were, Father, acknowledged by the upraised hand in this room today. But you know every single situation. And God, and we, we thank you for that. Your word says, the eyes of the Lord, nothing is hidden from you. And God, you know the areas of our heart that need to be healed. Wounds that are, have been cut in our spirit that need salve and healing grace. I pray for each one today that grace is found in Christ. Who will look to him for just a moment? Who will look to a bleeding Savior on a tree? Who will look to seven fountains of blood spilled on a cross called Calvary, spilled for you? Crown of thorns on his brow so that you wouldn't have a mind filled with anxiety. Wounds in his flesh so that your wounds could be healed. A spear that pierced his side so that your heart that's broken can be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what his blood was for. It's atoning, delivering, redeeming, and healing blood that was shed at the cross of Calvary. And if you'll see him in that mode and in that, in that, in that place, 
sacrifice for us. I'm telling you, healing will come to you today in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you today. And for all those, God, I have prayed over each one whose hand was outstretched, God. And Father, that hurt might still be bitterness, but it also might be sin or sinfulness. And I pray that they will turn to you in repentance in acknowledging and confessing their sin and find forgiveness in you in Jesus' name. Or they may have been the innocent victim of many wounds cut by the hardness of other people. But they found today a love so real, a grace so divine, Father, in the name of Jesus. That God, that they can find healing and virtue in you. So Lord, I love you today and I bless my church family. And I'm so grateful to be the pastor of Heber First Assembly of God. To be able to share with them the word of truth each and every week. And I pray as they walk out of here today, they can kind of say under their breath, who's speaking for God? They can say, our pastor, he spoke for God today. In Jesus' name. And all God's children said with me, amen and amen. Love